Blog Talk Radio. came and yelling at me. I completely forgot. I was outside. Um, Adrian, can you hear me? I, I skipped the opening, the usual, the opening message, so I hope that I'm on. Um, let's see. <laughs> Let me get settled here a second. Okay, and uh, Adrian was just saying she could hear me. So good morning, everyone. Welcome to Live Dimer Sunday for May 17th, 2020. I am here, and glad you joined us. Well, today is uh, induction uh, lay minister induction for Bright Dawn Center lay ministers, and uh, they completed almost 20 months of our study program, curriculum, practicum, and everything. We had a training workshop yesterday. We had a virtual Dharma path tour, and they shared their own personal Dharma spots. And uh, we did Tisarana service. They all received the Dharma name in our Yo lineage. Yo means uh, the sun, S-U-N, the bright dawn. Um, and at nine, and in about uh, fifty minutes from now, I will start the. Uh, we'll have a. They're all going to get on Zoom, and we'll have a virtual induction ceremony. Uh, we made uh, we have their T. Serrano certificates. We have our, each one has a lay ministry induction certificate, uh, and we have their Okesa, their next so, next stole um, that every lay minister gets together with their certificate, and we will be mailing these out. But uh, today, simulation, virtually, I will present each one uh, with that in the ceremony, induction ceremony. And it's really a special, special time for the participants and for us at Bright Dawn Center here. All right. I have a, what we call a pre, pre-induction huddle, <laughs> because uh, I call it a huddle because uh, it's a little takeoff on uh, uh, football uh, analogy, where they're all on the Dharma team, and I have a, a Dallas Cowboys football helmet, authentic size and everything. I don't know where we got this, but we've had it for a long time. And instead of a star on the side of the helmet, 
I blew up a Dahmer wheel and cut it out and pasted it over that. So this is a Dahmer team, a football team helmet. And there are some analogies that I use during this pre-induction huddle. Okay. Uh, <clears throat> you know how uh, if you watch, <laughs> you can't watch sports on TV, but when we used to watch sports on TV, sometimes they would show the NFL, uh, the team huddling on the sidelines before the game. It's a big game. And they're all jacking each other up. Hey, 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 you know, getting, and, uh, and just before they break the huddle and run out onto the field to start the game, one of them quite commonly would say, uh, let's say it's the Chicago Bears. He would say, okay, Bears on three. And they all put their hands in the center on top of each other, and they would raise their hand up and down. One, two, three, Bears! Okay. So <laughs> what we do before when we break our huddle, uh, Dharma huddle, I say one, two, three, Dharma, and we all put our hands in there. One, two, three, Dharma, and throw our hands up in the air. Okay, and it's very invigorating. So that's kind of a preview. Of what I'll be doing in about in about an hour uh, for them, and uh, yeah, we're we're very, Dharma Dan will tell them uh, he'll be here and. Uh, stuffed animal puppet, Dahmer Dan, and he will give them a special uh, teaching. And he says uh, he will tell them there's only two things uh, you need to remember in life. Always be sincere and don't forget to laugh. Okay, without further ado, I'm looking at our Blog Talk Radio switchboard, and it looks like Ken... Uh, Kenyo, his English name is Ken, and so I gave him, you know, and also Ken is a Chinese character with with the meaning to look, to see, okay, in other words, enlightenment, Um, and so that's part of his uh, Dharma name, Kenyo, Um, and he was in uh, Grand Junction, Colorado, uh, his hometown, when he was in the play program, uh, I don't remember what year now, but it's been a while. And then he, he's, for the last so many years, he's been living in South America. Uh, and he gave a, uh, you know, Dharma Glimpse for Live Dharma Sunday. And here's part of it right here. I began writing this Dharma talk before the outbreak of the viruses and subsequent worldwide quarantines. Please keep this in mind as you listen to my talk. People are gathered around a Buddhist monk. He is standing near a fellow passenger sitting on a bench. The group maintains a respectful silence and distance. Their attention is fixed upon the monk. He has stooped over the body of the fellow traveler. The traveler's head leans to one side unresponsive to the monk's presence. The monk's right hand is clasped firmly around the right wrist of his fellow traveler, while his free hand rests in a respectful position near his heart, 
fingers pointing upward, and the thumb near the chest. His fellow traveler has died. The look on the monk's face is serene, knowing, and connected with his intention to sense the condition of his companion. He is oblivious to the surrounding crowd. He seems at ease with the inevitable fact that we all suffer and we all will eventually die. The monk's presence and expression contributes to the sacredness of this important event of death. For the past year, my attention has been drawn to suffering. One doesn't have to look far to see or to experience it. As I frequently travel between cities and towns, I see many people from many walks of life. Some towns are very isolated from the hustle and bustle of the city and its modern life. Suffering comes in many forms. It may be physical, financial, health-oriented. In short, the ways of the suffering are innumerable. Lord Buddha's Four Noble Truths speaks of the unavoidable condition of suffering. The first of the Four Noble Truths states, No one can deny that suffering is a condition of all existence. This is also known as the truth of suffering, dukkha, conditioned existence. At the same time, there is a Buddhist prayer often called the Four Immeasurables. One translation states the following. May all sentient beings have happiness and its causes. May all sentient beings be free of suffering and its causes. May all sentient beings never be separated from bliss without suffering. May all sentient beings be in equanimity, free of bias, attachment, and anger. This prayer encourages the fostering of actions that will discourage suffering while promoting the opposite of suffering, which is happiness, freedom, bliss, and equanimity. I have found the word equanimity particularly helpful as a conceptual tool to use when promoting the opposite of suffering. Wikipedia defines equanimity thus. Equanimity is a state of psychological stability and composure, which is undisturbed by experience of or exposure to emotions, pain, or other phenomena that may cause others to lose the balance of their mind. Awareness of equanimity has been so helpful because it encourages me to hold the ego at bay in an emotional situation. It causes me to be more conscious of otherwise habitual reactions that may arise. A while ago, I took a course on the power of speech. Its theme was that what we say can either contribute to the positive or negative emotions of a situation. In other words, our speech can cause suffering or promote its opposite. Further, the course provided scripts for a variety of professions. For example, someone in an emergency situation was coached to focus on the possibility of a positive outcome instead of a negative one. They could say things like, help has arrived, soon you will be in the hospital, soon you will be getting better. Positive energy is generated with the hope given by such statements. It is rumored that Christopher Columbus, the explorer, kept two logs on his journey to the New World. Quote, the trip was long, longer than anticipated by either Columbus or his crew. In order to mollify his crew's apprehensions, 
Columbus kept two sets of logs, one showing the true distance traveled each day and one showing a lesser distance. The first log was kept secret. The latter log quieted the crew's anxiety by underreporting the true distance they had traveled from their homeland. End quote. Webster's Dictionary defines equanimity as evenness of mind, especially under stress. Then it goes on to use the words right disposition and balance. The word right disposition implies wisdom from personal experience which selects a proper mental attitude according to a specific situation. From these definitions I might draw the following conclusions. I must maintain a psychological stability through equanimity that does not promote further suffering. This is a passive aspect to minimizing suffering, but it does affect those I influence, including strangers. This effect may be generated through body language or unspoken sense of emotions. The active aspect of minimizing suffering can be realized by fostering the right disposition towards a specific situation. Right disposition can be achieved through study, wise guidance, and thoughtful analysis of life's experiences. I will share some personal examples I have used with the goal of my presence encouraging a decrease in suffering. Life offers numerous examples of witnessing situations that evoke judgment. We are curious beings and seek to understand our situation. The ego jumps in and attempts to promote us to a superior position from situations we dislike, condemn, or don't understand. When I see someone who evokes a judgment, I counteract this tendency by confessing that I do not understand, nor do I have to speculate on a reason. I especially like the saying, but for the grace of God go I. When I feel the tendency to negatively judge another person, silently I repeat this saying, place my hands together, and then bow to the situation. Life's experiences have taught me that the distance between my own situation and a situation I might condemn, which inspires me to feel superior, is very short. I could share the same situation I condemn today, tomorrow. I saw a short show that narrated a wealthy woman traveling by car. She stopped at an intersection and saw a dirty and obviously poor woman by the side of the road. She turned up her nose and drove on without much thought towards the poor woman's situation. She traveled further, then her car began to have trouble. Finally, the engine died and refused to start again. The wealthy woman was forced to get out and tried to get help. Everyone passed her in a manner similar to how she had done with the poor woman she saw earlier. Then it began to rain. The wealthy woman was forced to walk toward town to get help. As she walked, cars passed her and splashed water and mud upon her. Finally, she reached the same intersection where she had met the poor woman. This time, it was the wealthy woman who was dirty and wet, just as she had seen the poor woman previously. She attempted to ask for help from the other people who passed her in their cars. Guess what happened? They showed the same disdain and contempt for her because of her appearance, as she had given to the poor woman she met earlier. Yes, the very situation we condemn today 
may be our own situation tomorrow. I was shopping for some souvenirs. I felt a tap on my shoulder and turned around to see someone with whom I had previously met. I turned and greeted her with a huge hug, saying, Hello, sister. Those around me gave me a most strange and curious look. Our colors were about as opposite as they could be. She black and I white. I also a foreigner and she a native of the town. How did this happen? She was a street vendor. I passed her several days in a row and made an effort to be kind and wished her a good day. The town where I was staying had a strong tourist population. Street vendors can be relentless in their pursuit of a sale. My initial reaction was that I did not want to be bothered and wished that these vendors would leave me alone and let me enjoy the city. I thought about this reaction and then attempted to rebalance it with the fact that these vendors are people also. While I was free to enjoy the city, they had to work long hours just to survive. I developed a compassion towards their situation. So, though I did not always purchase their products, I greeted them with respect and wished them a pleasant and successful day. When the days were particularly hot, I would bring my vendor friends a cold drink and something to eat. I expected nothing in return. I knew that it was difficult for them to take a break or to go to the bathroom. They could not leave their merchandise unattended to see to their needs. They were particularly grateful for my offer because it fulfilled a need and gave them comfort to work onward in the long hours of the day and the evening. One vendor honored me with his chair while he stood waiting on customers. There are very few chairs along the streets. I welcome this kind gesture. He felt valued and respected by my actions. Hopefully, I alleviated some of his suffering to make a living in my expressions of acceptance of him as a fellow human being. It was this same action that resulted in a happy hug with another vendor I met while I was shopping. In each case, I tried to exhibit the spirit of Namaste. I celebrate the divine within you without judging their situation. I will mention that one must use skillful means or prudent judgment in these situations. In some cases, the action can cause personal danger or other problems. However, we must courageously accept the challenge of being discerning while at the same time insisting on promoting the opposite of suffering in the world. To conclude, I'd like to share a prayer to end suffering by the Zen Buddhist monk Thich Nhat Hanh. It is called the Great Bell Chant. May the sound of this bell penetrate deep into the cosmos, even in the darkest spots. Living beings are able to hear it clearly, so that all suffering in them cease. Understanding comes to their heart, and they transcend the path of sorrow and death. The universal Dharma door is already open. The sound of the rising tide is heard clearly. The miracle happens. A beautiful child appears in the heart of a lotus flower. One single drop of this compassionate water is enough to bring back the refreshing spring to our mountains and rivers. Listening to the bell, I feel the afflictions in me begin to dissolve. My mind calm, my body relaxed. A smile is born on my lips. Following the sound of the bell, my breath brings me back to the safe island 
of mindfulness. In the garden of my heart, the flowers of peace bloom beautifully. Be transported to a place of serenity and hope with this exquisite prayer. Gosho. Thank you very, very much. Uh, as Ken, Ken Yo started his uh, story about uh, the old man who had died in the airport, uh, if you're not familiar with this, with the, the image, the picture of this scene, uh, it's been on the internet and uh, it's a very poignant uh, picture. Um, this is uh, at some Southeast Asian airport, and uh, there's a you know all the airport uh, uh, reception or waiting area. People are hustling around. There's a crowd, and uh, on and then there are these wooden benches. Okay, and on on one bench, all by himself, there's an old man, and his he slumped over to the side. And he's kind of dressed lovingly, and uh, he, maybe he was a homeless person, uh, maybe just seeking shelter, warm shelter uh, in the airport there. And he has died. And the people are passing him by. <laughs> Nobody will pay attention to him. Okay? And then this Buddhist monk, uh, in his robe, shaved head, uh, he notices this. And he pays honor to this man's death. And as was described, uh, the photo shows him holding the wrist of the dead man okay, with, with one of his hands. And then he has the one-handed gush show. Okay. And he has a certain uh, expression on his face. And some of the passerbyers have stopped and are kind of cocking their head, looking to see what's going on here. Because he was probably, I don't know, but he was probably chanting a sutra. Uh, uh, this kind of occasion is when sutras, re we really see the value. It's not uh, the meaning of the words or the sounds that are being uh, chanted. It's kind of like auditory uh, meditation, uh, uh, soothing background sound rhythm of the chanting and it evokes uh, a, a certain kind of uh, you know atmosphere there not thinking about some teachings or the reality of death or expounding on some kind of a lecture or profound teaching it's a combination of some kind of some kind of a sacred, secular, unique uh, moment. Um, that is a tremendous picture, photograph. Uh, Kenyo goes on to talk about equanimity. You can be calm under stress, and that reminded me. It flashed in my mind uh, one of my personal life mottos. And it says, uh, do not engage in maladaptive behavior. 
<laughs> it's not not a very poetic phrase, but it's very personally impactful for me. I was uh, teaching uh, psychology course, and I remember preparing for it, and I was reading this uh, chapter on maladaptive behavior, and um, I don't know why, but I was all by myself in my office looking at this book, and I read that phrase. And uh, for some reason, it really, I don't know if it was my karmic uh, stream of consciousness for that particular moment. I never had this feeling before or after, but I just, I, I just clued into that, and it and it went deep into my pour through the pores of my skin. Do not engage in maladaptive behavior, and it went on to define what is maladaptive behavior, and it gave several everyday life uh, illustrations of of it. Um, uh, it said, maladaptive behavior is you know when you're stressed out when you're in some kind of a problematic situation uh, don't react don't let it trigger some maladaptive behavior that means uh, what you do say like well, okay one example is the guy loses his job or he gets insulted by a stranger on the bus as he's going home from work and he's just mad. And he comes back in and he kicks the dog and he breaks some furniture and he yells at his wife. He is engaging in maladaptive behavior because what he's doing does not really help or deal with the problematic situation. It's not, it's not directly dealing with the fact that he lost his job or that, you know, it's, it's not productive, it's not helpful to solve the negativity of the problem situation. And it causes its own problems. Maybe he leads to his divorce. Maybe the dog runs away. Maybe he doesn't have a chair to sit on. <laughs> so maladaptive behavior, it just doesn't help the situation, and it creates its own problems with it. Who wants to do maladaptive behavior when it... When it goes like that, I say, yeah, I'm not going <laughs> to, you know. Uh, this is so common sense. It's such clear wisdom. <laughs> I mean, and then I think of a quote that, I, that I, I heard someone say in a kind of a, a seminar retreat. He said, yeah, you know, we don't always know what to do. But we always know what not to do. We know we know when we <laughs> when we engage in maladaptive behavior. Now we might say to ourselves, "Well, how could I have helped it?" And we'll blame the problematic situation. But <laughs> that's not that. It's the person, not the situation, huh? We attribute the blame to what happened to us. But another great saying that really impacted me my whole life, keep it in my spiritual toolkit, 
pull it out. It says, X is not the problem. How I deal with X is the problem. Whenever something happens, negative type situation, get you getting upset, just say that sentence. Just saying that sentence redirects your whole attitude. It can do it. You say, whoa, wait a minute. X, whatever it is, X stands for anything. X is not the problem. How I deal with X is the problem. That is a 180-degree turn. Huh? Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, I'll tell you one last story that uh, I'm reminded of. Uh, when I was a minister at the Buddhist Temple of Chicago, a lot of Buddhist temples, urban uh, center uh, temples, they're not in very good neighborhoods. And the Buddhist Temple of Chicago is no exception. It was in a kind of, a, uh, you know, a lot of street people wandering around. Uh, vandalism occurs and a lot of homeless people. Uh, this was a part of Chicago that uh, on the north side, uh, a lot of Native Americans uh, were dumped in this neighborhood. Okay, every city has to has a place where they're going to get when they release somebody from a, a community mental facility or something. They got they got to go someplace. So this is the place <laughs> where they're dumped, and there's big, uh, big uh, apartment complexes all run down, okay, with nicknames like Misery Mansion or, you know, and there's single SROs or single residence occupancy guys, semi street people have one little small room and, <laughs> you know. A lot of times they don't even can't even make it there to, and they're sleeping on the street instead. But so that was the atmosphere. That's the neighborhood. And I'm in the uh, one, one day I was outside in the small parking lot next to the church and cleaning up. And a street person was walking by on the sidewalk. And you know, there's a fence. We have a fence around the parking lot. Uh, a low wooden fence, and and sometimes people would ask me. Quite often, they they'd uh, you know ask for handouts, and you, uh, if you spend all day every day in this kind of neighborhood, you get I don't know what the word is immune, uh, or more than immune to these kinds of. Uh, uh, request, you know, hey, buddy, you got a dollar? Hey, you know, hey, can you help me out? Okay. You know, you, you know, you could think things like, oh, he, you know, uh, he, he's not going to use it for food, man. <laughs> you're going to get something to drink. Okay. But you get kind of a, uh, looking, not looking down exactly, but you're kind of irritated. Uh, you, you just tune these people out. And on this particular occasion that I'm talking about, this guy asked, and I 
And I just said, I said, can't help you, man. You know, and I turned and walked away. And I guess the tone of my voice or the, my attitude, you know, he was, you know, he got kind of mad. But he kept walking, you know, and he's starting to swear and everything. And after that, that, that struck me. I said, hey, isn't there a better way for me to handle this? Uh, and after that, I was very uh, kind, even though I would refuse. I'd bring up my own sincerity, and I'd say, gee, I, I, I really wish I could help you out, but, you know, uh, I have difficulty doing so, you know. But you take care. You know, it only takes a few seconds. It takes a little bit of energy. It takes a little bit of focus. It takes a little bit of, you know, effort there to do this, but not much. Huh? Treat these street people with courtesy and decency. You never regret kindness. Even the smallest kindness. Everyday stuff, man. And I remember talking to a friend after this particular incident. I was, you know, I was kind of moved by it. And uh, I was sharing it to John. And John's kind of a, <laughs> he's kind of a special guy. Um, but I had mentioned to him that, you know, my attitude towards street people, because these people are looking to take advantage of, who, you know, hey, if that loser is uh, going to give me some money, uh, you know, uh, okay, you know. They're looking for people to take advantage of. Some nice person that, you know, not street-wise. And John, when I was saying this, John said, in his quiet voice, very sincerely, too, he says, John says, well, isn't it nice that these people have a place where they could take take advantage of others? <laughs> what kind of a logic is that? Huh? That little incident, episode there, really taught me something, and uh, I wanted to share that. Hey, hey, that's all for today's broadcast. Till next time, keep going. And you have a wonderful day. Thank you.